0: I the, the yeah, can't it, see yeah.
1: this on Pop Locking. Yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was good shit, man. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's
2: good.
1: Yeah, man. And this fucking guy, Kellen. <laughs> <laughs> uh we need royalties I on this. St- I took
2: screenshots for proof.
3: We've noticed that you hadn't talked for a while. Um, is it anything to do with anything on your mind, or has it just been coincidence that you haven't talked what, for
0: some time? Why do you care?
3: Because you'd usually
0: talk. Uh, well, and I, feel like, I feel like talking the last couple days.
3: It was anything in particular?
0: No, I just didn't feel like.
3: Has it anything to do with conversation about free agency?
0: Yeah, that's the conversation you're going to have. I don't think about that type of stuff, that's your job.
4: You've obviously been around the noise for so long. Is it bothering you more this year? Is it louder this year?
0: It's unnecessary. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here. Don't talk to nobody. Just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. I have nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. They got nothing to do with me. I'm trying to play basketball. Y'all come here every day. Ask me about free agency. Ask my teammates, my coaches. You rile up the fans about it. Y'all let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now when I don't want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, you. Grow up. Come on, bro. I come in here and go to work every day. Don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Or I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? You weren't talking. You weren't talking you So, who are you? Why do I gotta talk to you? Tell me. Does that is that gonna help me do my job better? Nah, bro. I didn't feel like talking. Kevin, the uh, free agency thing really hadn't been that much of a discussion coming to you because we got it loud and clear, at least we, most of us should have, that it was off, off limits. Don't so go what's there. What's the problem now? No, just that you've been quiet and you're not usually quiet. You usually share your opinions and stuff. So everybody's like trying to figure out what's going on. And we we're all getting questions from fans like, what's wrong with Kevin? I just tell them, he's playing okay, but he's not talking right now. I just don't trust none of y'all. Every time I say something, it gets twisted up and thrown out in so many different publications. Try to tear me down with my words that I say. So when I don't say nothing, it's a problem. I just want to play ball. I want to go to the gym and go home. That's all. Is that a problem? All right oh. then. Yeah, I mean, how do you? How how are you playing? How's the team playing in the last I, couple weeks? I'm done. You know you don't care about that. I just asked you.
5: i can see it in your eyes you're angry regret got shit on what you're feeling now magazine Looked somebody in their face and told them to grow up. He's like, I'm, I'm talking to you. So to me, it was personal.
3: He did name check the reporter he was upset. It was with.
5: personal. It's like this guy wrote a story, of, he wrote a story about me without even talking to me. So making it seem like it was some things in this story, this article that I supposedly said. That's what I really took from it. And then You know, if you're getting asked about free agency way back in training camp and they still asking like it, it kind of runs its course. You just want to play basketball. Ask us about our run that we're on right now for this this third straight championship.
0: I mean, that all comes with it. When you're considered one of the baddest players on the planet, you know, people have interest on what's next for you. What, you know, I mean, they're just interested
1: in your life in general. I mean, what, why haven't you talked to the media? Where are you going to be next year? It's
0: all a lot of things people want to know as fans. We live in a world right now through media is like it spreads like wildfire rumors and all these things. And when you are one of the baddest men
5: on the planet, people want to know these right, things. Right, but don't ask me. So you me have to accept the, that. N- no. It comes with it. No, it doesn't. You don't ask me about free agency every after the game, well, before practice, before you He can, practice, put, he can, he can run, actually like, put that the rest. I get it because he signed the two year deal and, and you signed these short term deals. One and yeah. one, yeah. yeah, He's yeah. one and one. Yeah, they, they want to know, but don't ask me every day. Don't ask me that every day. He could put that to rest by saying, look, I'm not answering no more of these free agency questions until after the season. That's not going to
1: put
4: it Because to we that. don't hear that from the other guys. Kevin Durant is one of the most talented players in the history of the game. He is absolutely indefensible on the court. He has a chance to be the all-time leading scorer. He's got two rings. He's got an MVP. He's got a chance to win more. His only weakness is his thin skin. <laughs> it's his only weakness. And I don't know why, because he doesn't really owe anything to anybody. Um, when it comes to this, he is absolutely within his rights to call out a reporter. He's absolutely within his rights to get frustrated by questions. However, if you want to talk about acting like a grown-up, in 2016 when he changed teams, it changed the face of the entire league every single day that has passed in the league since then, including today, yes. is affected by that free agency decision. His next free agency decision will change the face of the league, especially if he leaves. These are so maybe the most important thing that is going on in the NBA right now, even more important than Anthony Davis, is where Kevin Durant is gonna play next year. And, and he made the decision to sign a one-year contract. It is his, have to has to be his responsibility to stand up and accept the, the, the reality of that situation. And he should say, none of you can touch me because I'm better than all of you and I'm more powerful than all of you and I'm more powerful than every owner and every other player in the league because I control where the balance of power goes in the league.
2: Well, look, this isn't going to stop. That's the bottom line. He can stand up there and say what he says. And, and I do agree to a point, if he's frustrated, he's allowed to say it. We want to hear from him. We didn't hear from him from nine, for nine days. Now we've heard from him. I don't want to criticize him for speaking after he finally speaks. That being said, it's not going to stop. Brian, as you point out, his free agency is going to affect the NBA. Is His $7 billion a year business. The New York Knicks just made decisions that are hundreds of millions of dollars worth of decisions based on speculation of where Kevin Durant might go. This isn't just gossip.
3: Kevin Durant decided to take a blowtorch to his face yesterday. So what happened, Ethan? What specifically is he objecting to?
1: your boy, semi-regular co-host Marcus Sean Mallow Robinson, stepping in for Kellen with the hosting duties this week. He couldn't make this week's episode, but he's here with us in spirit, as always. In this week's episode, me and George Gergo, we are joined by Ethan Strauss, journalist for The Athletic and writer of The Victory Machine, The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Me and George have a great conversation about Ethan's life as a reporter in the Bay Area and covering the Warriors. Also, Ethan discusses his time covering KD, his legacy, and the Air Jordan 11 possibly being too flashy. Mm, Blasphemy. (laughs) After our conversation with Ethan, George and I chop it up about his attempts to get into sports journalism and D.C. sports in general. Hope you guys enjoy.
3: Ethan! How you doing? Sorry for being a little bit late uh is this a video thing i mean i know it is an audio podcast do i have to do i have to set up do you have to set up video no, no no I mean, no you're good that's why i'll shut up i mean if you guys are on video it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it's a little weird if i'm not you know it's just a little bit weird so uh it's uh, mostly for
2: marcus and i to see our cues so yeah,
3: that, makes that makes sense uh one second uh could I? Could you just give me like a couple minutes to
2: just grab a water? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Take your time. Thanks. Absolutely.
3: Ethan,
1: what if we would have said no?
2: Oh,
3: no, <laughs> no, no, <we're> <laughs> like no, no, bitch, you're doing this <laughs> right now. Chop, chop. <laughs> okay, I'll be, I'll be back. Ethan. Oh, oh sure we nice. all got glasses. Holy shit. A <laughs> uh, bunch of intellectuals over here considering it yeah, considering things <laughs> i don't know how glasses got associated with that though that doesn't make a lot right? of sense like yeah you can't see worth shit you must be smart well i guess it's because people were reading back in the day you know maybe it's a wives tale, and your eyes get bad uh, by the candlelight who knows who knows i don't know how you guys doing
1: <laughs> i don't know if people still even read anymore well we read your book but it's like uh <laughs> It's a bit iffy on the reading these days.
3: It, yeah, well, men don't read. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the, the book got to number one in sports, but I don't know what that means compared to um, some YA novel, you know, with a <laughs> J-Law-type protagonist that, that probably does crazy numbers. And what ends up happening – so the book got to number one, and it briefly supplanted Moneyball. And I thought to myself wow. when I saw that, like – Moneyball that's the last time men read that's like the last book <laughs> like internet porn wasn't at the level to completely supplant reading as an activity for men and Moneyball was the last one and there hasn't been anyone since since that point and uh, you know eventually Moneyball would be back you know number one still it's the that's the that's the last one that's my general theory that was like internet porn men stopped reading bada bing bada boom <laughs> that's that's what happened. <laughs> I've been I reading it for 20 years, too, apparently. <laughs> so, just I think that's what the, uh, Yeah, it's, you know, it's the last one. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't think your theory is baseless, so I think you may have a point.
3: <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. So, how's how's it going, man? Like, how, how does it feel? Uh, Number one
3: published book, man. How does it feel? Uh, it's cool. I mean, you uh, are we recording? Is this part of the show, or w- what's the, uh you know... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're recording, but oh, yeah. fuck it. <laughs> Marcus is a master. Marcus is a master editor, so yeah. We don't know like, all well, that's because yeah. I was about to say it feels, you know, incredible to be so much better than everybody else. No, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I. It's cool. It's mostly cool just because you're afraid of failure. Like I was afraid that I would come out with the book and then it's just not even discussed, and you know, it's a big disappointment. You feel like you're letting people down potentially uh, who are also invested in it. And, you know, this funny thing happens where other people um, make a lot of effort behind the scenes in order to get a book over the finish line and they don't get any kind of credit, but they also don't own the failure. And so I, I then want to just make them feel good about having worked with me and feel good about uh, me as an investment. Like I don't want to let them down. And so the fact that it got picked up, it got talked about, it sold pretty well as far as I can see um that's all great it's just a relief just like uh just like the Warriors winning a championship it's more relief than it is uh <laughs> than it is a thrill I suppose
1: that's pretty good man it, it's funny talking a little bit back when you said um men don't read I I did notice I think the first in your acknowledgments uh of the five people you first acknowledged for
3: them were women so I can tell you're a smart guy I didn't even think about that. I can't even remember who I acknowledged other than my wife who took the, you know, took our son to Mexico for two weeks and that was a vacation I was supposed to be on. And, and I just said, I got to get this done. And she was a hero. You know, she was a trooper and she took a crying baby on an airplane. Um, so. so it- so it yeah. was
1: like the it was like the opposite of Rodman's seventy two hours. And
3: <laughs> I mean, hey, he's uh he's lived uh hey he had a best selling book. I read that mm-hmm. as a kid, by the way. Uh, I remember the cover, yeah, the crazy fonts. You ever read it? It's got like different size font and different um you know you, you might see some Dan Gilbert style comic sans at various points. Of it. <laughs> I, I knew and that was gonna be in there. <laughs> I always thought that was pretty cool it was dismissed as gimmicky at the time but i remember reading it as a kid and i just skipped to right to the parts where he was having sex with madonna like that's that's what i skipped to when, yeah, when yeah. i was it you know that was pretty shocking but i also thought it's pretty cool that they're just changing the font all over the place i've never seen something like this <laughs>
2: oh
3: so why, didn't, us. So, um, why didn't,
1: so why didn't you do it you should have had big uh, Katie sucks Comic Sans somewhere. In the
3: same time. <laughs> well, I've never pulled down, you know, 20 rebounds in a game. You know, I think that Dennis Robb sure. in the 1990s might have had a certain level of cachet that I've not gotten to yet. But if I have a big hit, then all bets are off. Then the font's going insane. Different colors, upside down, whatever.
2: Oh, I'm going to hold you to that, Ethan, by the way.
3: Mm. Ethan,
2: tell me about how the like the process works. Does it is in terms of just the writing, is it, you know, hey, I've got all these articles together and how can I stream this into longer narratives or because Marcus and I and Kellen, when we talked about like some of them, some of the articles kind of read or some of the chapters kind of read like articles and then some of them kind of read like the longer prose that you normally get out of a book. Like what's the process behind turning your work as a, a journalist writing pieces into a longer form?
3: One second, my dog is barking because we don't have a dog door. Let me just let him in, and I will come up with a half-cogent <laughs> response to that. Part of the process is 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 finding the breaks in the action between when your dog's barking. Let's <laughs> oh,
5: come on, buddy. Hey, hey, yeah, you. You like comic books, anime, and stuff? Sure you do. Who the hell doesn't? And that's why you should listen to a podcast called Fresh. It's like audio cliff notes of ancient texts, painstakingly translated by us for you. So do yourself a favor. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Trust me, we're everywhere. So don't forget, it's a podcast called Fresh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere podcasts are casted.
3: What kind of forever? I love it.
2: I love it.
1: Hey man, I've never. The only pets I've ever owned were Pokemon, so I've never had this stress uh, okay. before.
2: <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had fish and a pet turtle, and the only reason I had the turtles because dad found it on the side of the road once. So,
1: your dad's a very sweet man, by the way. <laughs> okay.
3: So, um, first there was this idea of maybe making it more chronologically based in the last season their last dance but as you're seeing with the Bulls last dance the last season is such a grind and it's such a slog that you don't want to be grounded chronologically in that season it does things to people that create drama it wears on players the 82 game march into 20 games or whatever the playoffs is going to be so that can be interesting but day by day it's just brutal and so i thought at a certain point I just want to write about the characters and the features of this that are interesting to me and factor into the theme of this quest for success and really the lack of fulfillment one finds in it. And so I just wrote, you know, I tried to anchor certain uh, chapters and certain characters. You know, you get your Steve Kerr, you get your Bob Myers, and in many ways, I didn't focus too much on the players just because I thought it, it had been done to death that this these guys have been such an object of fascination that not only will it be difficult for me to tell you something new to be honest you kind of get it it's not like it's not like when you meet Draymond in real life he's like a, a shrinking wallflower and he's shy like you kind of <laughs> yeah. when you watch the all the smoke episode that he does with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes yeah that's Draymond and by the way that's Draymond in pretty much every setting. I don't think there's been any setting where people have gone like, oh, my God, this is not what I expected. And, yeah, there are aspects and features to their personalities that don't meet the eye. Steph can have a bit more of an edge. He's got a pretty good sarcastic wit, and sometimes you don't always see that. But for the most part, with the top level guys, with Steph, with Clay, with Draymond, with KD, who I did focus on because I thought he in some ways was almost a – an illustration of the modern NBA superstar and the kind of depressive ennui that's coming with all the attention. So he in a way could symbolize everybody, but I didn't, I didn't want to do the whole athlete, the whole athlete aspect to death because when you're writing articles at whether it's ESPN or the athletic, we know that that's where a lot of the focus is of the fans is the players is the player's, a thousand times over so we've written so many articles about them and i didn't i I just wasn't so into recapitulating the stories that have been done again and again and again and again so uh basic thought process was anchor it in a theme write about these guys and maybe sort of start at the beginning of the team getting bought and then end at it all having fallen apart and looking to the future so i don't know if that made any sense to the reader or to myself but that's that was basically what I was trying to do.
1: It, it, it made total sense. Uh, but before we actually go on, I didn't even realize this until just now. Uh, my name is Marcus. Uh, Marcus. That is George. Hey, George. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Kellen, Kellen could not make it uh, because Kellen is a funny individual who doesn't know how to read time. Huh? So... <laughs> But uh, but yeah, we're we're doing this for for his podcast. Um, we're we're pretty good friends with Kellen, and so we featured on his podcast um multiple times. So, uh, it was it was our idea, you know, to to read the book, but also to talk about it. But then, uh, Ken got the idea, like you know, shooting a shot to see if he wanted to come on and talk about it. So yeah, um,
3: I, I I saw this. I think you tweeted. I, I mean, some one of you guys tweeted. I think added me in the discussion of it, and it didn't occur to me that anybody would be doing this in the aftermath of the book, that they would be doing almost a a book club view of it. So I thought it was really cool, and I actually went on a run, and I started listening to it, and I was just, okay, this is really interesting to hear them talking about it, but then you guys started talking about sneakers, and I'm like, oh no, these (laughs) these are some sneaker heads. They're going to start with the Jordan 11s and then there's like, I don't know, like that's, an hour left and they're going to get, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway. That's going to get brought up probably along the line somewhere. And you guys just went and I look, I get it. I love sneakers, but you just went like right into Sneakerville. We so took those, a hard, hard right, turn. <laughs> a <very> hard right <laughs> turn. into sneakers. So, you know, that was that was not so much the book, but it was an enjoyable conversation. And I'm appreciative that you uh that you all read the book and uh are making content with it so yeah i I, i'm i'm happy to do this i'm happy to uh drop in
1: well actually that was actually the second episode that we that we recorded about your book the first episode yeah the first episode we actually do discuss your book uh the first three (laughs) chapters of the book pretty intensely yeah the second one it was mega detour to Sneakerville. So, um, but <laughs> well, sneakers, it
3: was, you know, there's a, sneakers are a big chapter in the book. That's my favorite chapter actually, uh, of the ones I wrote. I I think that's a big, that's a big thing. And it's a thing that's now more known to be a big thing by, uh, journalists and writers. Um, you know, it's crazy. I wrote, uh, this article that I think probably led to the whole book getting made, on steph curry joining uh under armor and leaving nike and i couldn't get anybody i was at espn at the time i couldn't get anybody to really greenlight that and eventually i got the green light on it and i wrote it for espn the magazine and uh it was cut from the hard copy of the magazine um because i think for a lot of executives who don't understand that there's this vast subculture of sneakerheads and that this is billions and billions of dollars It's why are we writing about sneakers? You know, we write about basketball. This doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it was cut from the magazine, but then it was posted online. And it's the most well-read thing that I'd ever done. Like it got 6 million. I mean, it sounds braggy, but it got 6 million unique page views. And I I think it was an example of not not me being hot shit or anything. It was just more this was a massive market inefficiency of a subject that if you got into it, there's a tremendous amount of interest in it. Um, that just doing things the way we've been doing things we hadn't really been able to get at. And I still think people don't understand from a journalistic perspective how to approach it because I think the lesson that ESPN and others might have taken from that is we need to talk about sneakers in this info... You know, what, what What is the term? A sponsored content kind of way. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh my God, look at PJ Tucker's sneaker collection. And he's got a great sneaker collection, no doubt, but... That's not what's interesting. What's interesting is what's going on in these meetings at Nike and at Under Armour where they're vying to try to get these guys to sign. And frankly, fans and readers, they can smell when it's the when it's real, and when it's authentic and when it's stuff maybe the corporate chieftains don't want you to know. And they can smell when it's effectively an advertisement posing as uh, as a journalistic article and they tend to reject the latter
1: i'm guessing on the west coast um before steph uh his career blew up and signing with under armor i'm assuming on the west coast like ua was not really a big brand
3: you know it's funny i'm actually wearing a shirt that is ua on it unintentionally i don't think much of them as a brand and i don't i i have nikes so i'm not trying to seem like a ua spokesman but yeah they didn't have it they're like uh UA's presence, I feel, it's like where it's humid in in the United States. (laughs) You know, it's like uh, suburban, southern, that's kind of where their footprint is at. But they've tried to go heavy in the basketball, and I think if I was writing another article, I might start asking the question of why they couldn't sign other guys. I mean, that's what's weird Mm, about how it's gone. They've gotten a few other guys, but they haven't gotten a superstar after Steph. And I think a lot of that is Nike with a bigger bankroll defending their territory. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they didn't have much of a presence out here. Suddenly they had a presence and there was a rise and there was a fall and now they're not in a good position.
2: Cause those next level of guys that, you know, would have gone, come after Steph that Under Armour could have signed like Kyrie, like Paul George have all done their lines with Nike and, and, yeah. pretty, mu- and was, we, pretty much and was pretty much to some pretty good sustained success, especially for Kyrie.
3: Yeah. And you know, under Armour tried to get some guys uh, when they were younger. I think Moodier was somebody they took a bet on, and that bet mm-hmm. did not work out. Yeah. So maybe you know Moutier plays better or does better. But that's what's funny is that you're almost you're almost a scout. You're almost doing it whether you're an agent or you're a sneaker company. You're almost looking at the game like a general manager because it's a question of. What guy can I find who's an unsung talent who's going to blow up after we sign him to a reasonable deal who's really going to help us? And maybe UA just needs a better scouting department because they haven't gotten (laughs) one of those guys. Marcus this will give me a good segue back
2: to the book which is of course The Victory Machine The Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty Ethan Strauss from the Athletic San Francisco joining us um, you go it's the making and unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty but it could all, almost be the making of what we consider the modern NBA i like in a, a couple of different places throughout the book that you go down avenues that have been talked about from you know the mental health of players to uh, the sneaker wars as we just talked about Um, ownership and how, you know, billionaires behind closed doors are just throwing unheard of sums of money um, to get involved with these teams, the making of the modern NBA player, the modern celebrity NBA player that has more power now than they ever had before. Was that intentional or just kind of in your research and going through everything's your work kind of led you down these avenues to talk about things that not only affected the Warriors, but the league as a whole?
3: Yeah, it was a little bit of both. I mean, my mentality when trying to do a project like this is, can I get this to cross over in a way? Can I get this to be more than what it's specifically about? And... I don't even know if I succeeded in that because I know people who aren't big sports fans who read it and enjoyed it, but I know other people who read it and some of the names are unfamiliar to them um, and they can't track certain aspects of it. So there's always that question of expository. Is this something that's going to be informative to the hardcore fan who is going to, you know, it's going to be most of the people who buy this book are going to know pretty much everything and not need a lot of handholding. But will it also double as um, entertaining for somebody who doesn't know all that stuff? And with the latter, I'm not sure, but I'm always I, I, I'm i always thinking about can this crossover and get more people than just basketball fans with the Nike Under Armour stuff that could be appealing to somebody who likes business and thinks about business? That could be that somebody who thinks about um, social media and what it's doing to our brains and what it's like for famous people and celebrity culture in general, maybe they could like the focus on Kevin Durant and that particular chapter, somebody who thinks about leadership and motivational techniques, they might read the Steve Kerr chapter and get something out of that. So, um, there was a little bit of a lack of intentionality, but it's all driven from that perspective of, can I find a thread that is going to relate to more than just this?
1: I think you did a pretty good job, honestly, mm-hmm. um, I've been, I mean, I've been into pro ball, like, most of my life, but I still felt the the book sort of really able to engage with people that maybe they just have, like, a passing sort of interest in basketball. Maybe they got into the Warriors only because they were, like, so good. Um, Maybe they, like you said, like, they just like the sneakers and, like, the business aspect of it. But I do think that the book is able to to grab the reader, um, regardless of the sort of level of, like, um you know their level of relationship with the nba um but speaking of that speaking of sort of like you know the basis of maybe who grabs the book or not i wanted to actually ask you a little bit about yourself um kind of what was your sort of history with basketball growing up as a kid and what made you want to get into sports journalism
3: that's a great question um i think what it was for me was uh this might be getting a little too deep uh I had a difficult relationship with my dad. Uh, My parents were divorced by, I think, high school. I just lived completely with my mom. But my dad was a huge Knicks fan back in the 90s. And despite whatever difficulties you might have had, it was a lot of fun to just watch those NBA and NBC Knicks games together. And I don't know if I was trying to chase that the whole time in whatever I was doing and however this wound, wound up the way it wound up, but... I do wonder about that. I do wonder whether that might be why I'm returning to that particular place. But um, growing up, I played basketball. I think I always enjoyed that. um, I'm better at basketball than I look. And so there's always (laughs) a little bit of, I mean, I'm not uncle drew level, especially now kind of fallen, (laughs) fallen apart. I played in the, um, the media game at the finals, last last finals. And um, like I had the handles, but I wasn't quite finishing at the rim. And, you know, like that goes away, man. It really goes away. But yeah, I played point guard growing up, traveling basketball, uh, high school. Uh, I eventually kind of I quit though. I quit in junior year, um, just because we had actually gotten too good. You know, oh the coach. Shit. Well, the oh coach. Well, the coach was, well, the coach, no, 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 not like that. Like the coach was doing the thing where you have the fake addresses so you can really stack the team because he <laughs> uh-huh. ran like the San Diego version of AAU back then, uh, high five America. And uh, so the team was stacked and he basically said to me, uh, you know, yeah, you you should, you can still be on the team. I know that minutes are more sparse and I was a little quitter, I think at that point, because the practices were, were long and I didn't I didn't really want to come off the bench and, you know, be practicing two hours a day and do that whole thing. So I just kind of I just kind of stopped at that at that point. And I don't know if I regret it or not. I don't know because they nearly won the state championship. So I don't know if it would have been a great experience to uh, sort of ride the bench um, for the most part and try to have a moment. Um, I still don't know. But I th- what's great. Uh, for my position is sometimes it's sometimes hard to get picked, but then it's really easy to overcome the expectations. Um, and so <laughs> that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing about uh, about basketball for me. And uh, I kind of wound up in this whole, whatever it is I do by a little bit of happenstance, a buddy of mine said he heard there was a, a job at the MBA when I was graduating college and I didn't know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue. Uh, I applied for the job. And it was an NBA PR. And what I did was basically wake up at 4 a.m. every day um, and read literally everything written about the NBA. Everything. Huh. Everything. And then I send a memo out to David Stern and other people um, on oh, nice. who we needed to have executed or whatever. I mean, mm. back then, <laughs> back then, you could literally read every newspaper article in America on the NBA. We're talking maybe 2009. So okay. you could you could actually do it. But – it was a miserable job, but it made me read a lot of what people were writing and then start thinking to myself, huh, this might be a cool thing to do instead of doing what I do. Maybe I want to do what these people are doing and you get to go to games for free and, you know, this could be a cool pathway. So that happenstance job kind of set up the rest of what I was doing.
2: That's All a right. good it's a good pivot into um probably the, the arguably the most notorious uh, event of your career when Kevin Durant mentioned your name in a press conference <laughs> and that and you kind of touched, you know in in you know the old days you know if you were a columnist per se you could write a column it gets printed in the newspaper somebody sees it and then maybe you don't hear about it until later that day or the next day but when it happens in this day and age in a press conference it's almost instantaneous yeah. that it rattles around the echo chamber so when you're in the in the middle of that and for For perspective, my background is in journalism um, from West Virginia University where Marcus and I went and I got my master's at Maryland. And so coming from a journalist perspective, when you're in the middle of a storm like that, how do you react? And you touch on it, you know, kind of like you're seeing all the criticism coming in. You saw Tracy McGrady criticizing you, but Dan Patrick was in praise of you. Like, how? what goes into that? Do you have to just shut down completely? Are you looking to colleagues for affirmation? Uh, you know, how? how did you work your way through that and to be able to continue to work and do your job effectively, even in the midst of all of that?
3: OK, so to take the first thing that you said and then circle back to the question, just because. I haven't talked about this on, on other podcasts, but it is an interesting distinction between the past and how it is now. A lot of the time, I'll here, we just don't have access like we used to. And Bob Ryan would, you know, he would get drunk with the players after the games and <laughs> he'd go to steak dinner with Bill Walton and blah, 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 blah. And th- that's true to a certain extent. But what writers are not honest about is the real reason that coverage has changed and perhaps gotten a little bit less honest. Um, which is that the players can clap back, which they they deserve to. You know, that's something that they should be able to do. Like they can do it immediately. And not only can they do it immediately, they'll see it immediately to what you're saying. So back in the day, columnists used to write uh, their hit pieces uh, or whatever you want to call it when the player was going on a road trip and the player might never even find out about it back in the day because he's across the country. You know, the newspaper comes, uh, people read it, and then he's back two weeks later. I mean, that is the distant past. So that's not today's world anymore. They're going to hear about everything, and then they're going to respond on their own newspaper, effectively, on Twitter. Um, And so that has created a dynamic where I think people are a lot more reluctant to criticize because they don't want to get put on that summer jam screen. I don't think a lot of other people wanted to be in the situation that I was in. Um, because it's an uncomfortable situation. And it's one that comes with the territory and every job has its downside. But to what you were saying about how you handle it, um, it's almost like when you're, I don't know, you're in a rift tide or something like mm-hmm. that. You don't want to panic and just do activity for its own sake. You don't want to start thrashing in the water. You have to calm down. Okay, what do I need to do? What do I not need to do? And To my mind, what you don't want to do is you don't want to mediate this stuff all on Twitter. That's not. It's like being in quicksand. That's not. That's not a good medium. That's not a medium that makes you seem reasonable. It's a medium where people can excerpt what you're saying, and it just.
1: It's it's for the unreasonable takes. Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. It's not. (laughs) It's not a good place. So, I thought about it overnight. Um, my boss said you should probably write something, and. I put a lot of focus into writing a response to why I wrote what I wrote. And my feeling on it was, okay, whatever I did, whatever I didn't do, however people are mad at me, at least I am creating content for my shop, for my place of business. And somebody would have to subscribe to read. So at least I'm taking care of my employer. Um, I'm saying my piece. People can like it. They cannot like it. It is what it is, and beyond that, I'm not going to say anything on Twitter. I'm not going to argue anything I see on Twitter. I'm not going to pour more gasoline on this fire. I'm going to, when local radio wants me on, I'll go on local radio. You know, at least people can hear your human being. They can hear your voice. like they, they can't with Twitter. But you just try to not be too defensive, even if people are, de- are attacking you, because ultimately, the other thing you have to remember is that nobody cares about you. Mm. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. They they might not like you or whatever you stand for, but they don't care if you're emotionally distressed by this. There's too much going on in the world. You are a content provider to them. And so if I'm in public wallowing about how this all makes me feel in the moment um, and how wronged I've been, those might be real sentiments. Those might be real feelings. I might be right in feeling them, but there's nothing – There's nothing in it for the customer. So you just try to bring it back to the customer. That's your lodestar in the way is that even if the customer is mad at you, you have to have a logic in your head of I'm doing what I can to provide you a look at what's going on and serve your interest. And that's what I'm trying to do. And so long as that's what I'm trying to do, and so long as that's what I'm focused on, I can't get too bent out of shape by any other noise. So that's how I try to approach it.
1: Man, I'm not gonna lie, Ethan. Like when that when it when it first came, like when it first happened, I was I was so embarrassed, like
0: because
1: I because because the shit. Well, well, full disclosure, like I I was born in D.C., I grew up in Maryland, suburban Maryland. So, like, Katie is a person who he's he's basically what Limb Bias should have been, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he was like you know throwing dirt in her name, it was kind of like. Bro, like I live like three different time zones away from this writer. <laughs> I know who the fuck he is. Like, I as I listened to um, Count the Dings Network, uh, shout out to Jay Hoyden and Big Waz and all. Oh that. yeah. And so it was kind of like, yo, know, you're trying to tarnish someone who does have skin in the game, for it for what reason? And I felt I felt really bad for you, and also felt kind of like icky because it's like you do have a point, like these athletes can clap back at these reporters and these journalists, but at the same time, like are people just going to believe him now to say, Ethan Strauss is a person who doesn't have any
3: connections. Well, he, he, here's what people are going to believe. They're going to believe whatever they want to believe. That's what yeah. I've learned based on the internet. Whatever narrative is the narrative that you want to believe in. If you want to believe that Katie is leaving, because who knows why, maybe you're a Knicks fan, maybe you're a Nets fan, then I'm, you know, I'm right as rain. Um, but if you're a Warriors fan who wants to believe that KD uh, is loyal to the Golden State Warriors, despite never having made any indication the entire season <laughs> that he has any intention of re signing at all, none. But if you want to believe that, then you're going to try to buy into the notion that it's the media trying to get clicks, stir up controversy. That's what you want to believe, so that's what you're going to believe, and that's just how it is. And ultimately, it was emotionally uncomfortable, but it was a gift to me. It helped publicize the book, and you know, thanks, thanks to him for that, I suppose.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> one of the the more interesting things uh, about him, yep. and and the thing I found in uh, one of the more interesting things in the whole book, uh, is about. His mother Wanda, and you know, as Marcus mentioned, he, Marcus grew up in, in Prince or in D.C. and Prince George's. Um, I went to I live in the D.C. area normally and went to school in Maryland. And he he loves the area, you know. Gives back. He comes back every summer. He's got, he's got his a, name. He's got a Maryland tattoo. If I recall. Yeah, right? he's, got, yeah. he's got he's got he's got, he's got yeah. the Nats. He's got everything. He's got a Maryland tattoo. He's got the Nats curly W. I think he's got the Redskins logo, you know, yeah. everywhere, and. That's irrational, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) There's this, and it's interesting because you know you go from Oklahoma City, Kevin, to Golden State, Kevin, and it's like, what the heck happened here? And the nugget you have in there about how he decided to take control of managing the business side and the finances away from his mother when he came to Golden State is really interesting to me because that's when I think we see the shift because. You know, Kevin Durant wasn't always this bad guy, and Nike even ran an ad campaign years ago. Kevin Durant is not nice to try and play up the aspect like he seems like this kind guy, but he's yeah. not really. And then he gets to Golden State, and he bears it out, actually. And so is, how big of a factor was kind of that disruption in the relationship with his mother in maybe changing his outward energy and appearance toward people in
3: the Bay Area? Yeah, it's one of those things that's really tricky and it's really fraught because you don't know everything going on with those dynamics and you don't want to speculate. But a lot of people did. A lot of people with the team did notice her absence and her absence seemed to correlate with him not being in the best of moods. And, you know, you don't know financially quite what happened there. You know, was it theft? Was it accidental? Who knows? But this is a this is a a dilemma that many of us face in our lives when it comes to family members, where they present a lot of complications and in some ways they might betray us or undermine us. But who are we without them? And if we completely cut them out of our lives and take all the good things away, um, then are we going to be worse off for it? Um, So I, I think that's something where, God knows. Who knows? Who knows all the dynamics of that relationship? But it certainly seemed that without her, um, without her, he was in a bad place. And just cutting out a lot of people and kind of making Rich Kleiman uh, the orchestrator of your entire existence might have had, it might have had its downsides. And that's really unfortunate. And it's tough. And he's a guy who's been through a lot of very tough circumstances. So as much as I don't love a lot of how he handles things and a lot of how he deals with people, there is an understanding of how it could get there, if not an empathy that's not grounded in experience, of not grounded in knowing what it's like, but just wondering that, man, if it was, if it was like this for me, I don't know how I would have turned out.
1: Yeah, man. Um, well, speaking a little bit about that as far as um... – it's kinda of like Katie's sort of legacy. Um, I feel like personally, like, we're gonna well, I would say I think people who are really into basketball and like kinda of know the game, like, I think we we do know sort of the special player that Katie is. But I think sort of like the general like even Twitter sphere, it's gonna take a while for people to actually be removed from the Warriors dynasty to actually appreciate what Katie was actually doing. But from your perspective, Ethan, what do you feel like Kevin Durant's uh, legacy is going to be like five years, 10 years from now? Let's say, you know, he's in Brooklyn and maybe they win a championship or maybe they never do. But what do you think like his his legacy is going to be in the
3: Bay Area? Man, it's so crazy because it's not completely fair. It's not completely based on just how good you were. He wants it to be in his vision. He reaches this level of being great. And then he gets everything that comes with it. He gets all the rewards. And we all say, hey, you're better than LeBron. Uh, We throw rose petals at your feet. and You're now the number one guy at Nike. But it's not, life's not totally like that. You know, Kevin Durant wakes up after winning the championship and beating LeBron and winning finals MVP and turns on the TV with this expectation that all these sports pundits that he's been ripping and yelling at in their DMs (laughs) are suddenly going to go. This guy's amazing. He's the number <laughs> one player. No, they didn't do that. And maybe there's a connection. Maybe if you've been kissing their ass and doing the proper PR, they would have given you all those rewards. So I guess that's a long way for me of saying that he might never really get the credit commensurate with the skill level and with the accomplishment. There will be people who will make the case, there will be people who will look at the stats. But what's the is it is it a Maya Angelou quote about people will forget everything else? Uh, but they'll remember how you made them feel um, hmm. there might be a little bit there might be a little bit of that where he presently is not having a legacy that a lot of people are, are are interfacing with it that way and saying he made me feel great he made people in Oklahoma City feel great but now there's this bitter tinge to it There's a bitter tinge to it at the end, and they don't feel great when they think about him. And, you know, for a a time, he helped make the Warriors fans feel great, but it it, it didn't end too amicably. I mean, he's never said anything about them on the way out, by the way. He's never said thanks to the fans or anything like that. Um, And so I just wonder, I, I see him having almost a Wilt Chamberlain legacy where people will talk about how impressive he was, but he won't have any just stands, for lack of a better word
1: before mm-hmm. KD stand I'm sorry before KD signed to Golden State did anyone predict like this kind of fallout like did any like was there like some random beat writer that was like yo I don't think this KD shit's going to work out <laughs>
3: um so it's funny I think the Warriors told themselves and if I was redoing and I think for the paperback version I might add some things but I think the Warriors organization because you have to convince yourself of the narrative you want yeah, uh, they made a lot about Westbrook and OKC shortcomings. You know, that's why this guy is so unhappy with the situation. But when he sees what we do and he sees how we play, um, he's going to be made whole and he's going to love it. And it turns out, as with many breakups, uh, there's fault on both sides. It's not just OKC. It's not just Westbrook and Westbrook's issues. KD has his own share of issues and the Warriors. I didn't have any, but nobody from Oklahoma City actually said, oh, this is going to be a rocky ride and this is going to end the way it ended. There wasn't much of that at all. And I think part of that might speak to the thing you were talking about earlier, where um, Wanda kind of receding into the background might have accelerated certain trends faster than, than what would have been anticipated. Because he ingrained, you know, if
2: I remember correctly, he ingrained himself in the community there, bought a house there. I believe his mother lived with him, lived with him in Oklahoma City yeah. for a, a period of time. So, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of that and in, in how it di- just didn't pan out in, in his move to Golden State. Um, the book, again, The Victory Machine, the, un- the Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty. Ethan Strauss with us on Hyphen Nation. I, I It's interesting, the end part, the unmaking of the dynasty, because now – in our current circumstances where everything is on its head and we may or may not have a conclusion to this NBA season, it may be a truncated season, it may be bumped up to the next season, is there an opportunity, obviously Golden State, you know, having an awful season this year, but is there any kind of opportunity that you can see being around the team and in your coverage that maybe that turns around just because of how up and down everything is, that maybe a lot more teams will have some uh, start on an equal footing just because of whenever basketball does resume, whether that includes a completion to this season or it's just a brand new season, maybe some teams start on a more equal footing than they would have in normal circumstances.
3: Well, I think the gap year helps them just recalibrate and rest and also obviously get a draft pick. But Who knows? I mean, this is all in flux right now because they are paying a ton in luxury tax. And if the salary cap just completely plummets in the way that theoretically should, then that should make them economically completely devastated, except a lot of people are speculating that the NBA is going to step in and not allow that to happen because this is just an unforeseen, insane circumstance. And so a lot of the devil will be in those details. This is going to be like in 2011 where everybody got to amnesty somebody if they wanted to amnesty somebody after that collective bargaining agreement. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know It's an unsatisfying response, but it's really the only one I can give when we're looking at a situation where if the NBA cannot complete this season, That is, I believe, going to crack the CBA wide open and Mm -hmm. leave everything up to renegotiation um, because the original CBA will not be honored if the season doesn't complete. So that's all on the table. And so I don't know what will happen. I think in theory, in the long view, they're benefited from getting a high draft pick and resting. But there are a lot of details right now, and it's all very much up in the air and beyond it. Everyone's focused right now on can they get can they get the season finished? Can they play in Walt Disney World or wherever? And I'm looking at it thinking, how the hell are they going to have a season next year? I mean, Mm. the NBA arena is quite it is quite the place for a a disease like this one. It is quite uh, the the vector zone um, from just the people in the crowd and you're indoors um, down to at the event level of the NBA, there is just so much. It's like a moving circus. Uh, It's like a traveling circus, not a traveling cocaine circus like Jordan was talking about, but (laughs) just a traveling circus in general. And I I, I do not know how they're going to pull that off. I mean, that's to me the biggest concern is how the hell to have a season next season versus right now, the short term, which does seem possible. I can see them doing the Walt Disney world thing and pulling it off. But next season, man, I do not know.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I think one of the, one of the phrases I'm like really tired of from companies, uh, when they hit you with the email, huh. we understand these are trying times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm like, so over that,
0: <laughs> but I mean,
1: we, we all understand like, yeah, like this is something like we haven't had to live through before. We're all trying to make the best of it. Um, from, you know, being a writer at the athletic, um, I don't want to. I don't want to use the phrase panic because I think that's kind of extreme. But how is kind of the morale of like the journalists at the Athletic, like in in the NBA in general? Is everyone trying to stay, you know, as creative as possible? Is everyone trying to stay in like good spirits? Or how's it going?
3: Yeah, I think we're trying to be creative. We're trying to look at different ways to do things. Um, it's a little hard if you've got a kid, then your kid is home. If you've got no daycare opportunities, so it's difficult to do the uh, sweat work that when it comes to creativity and I think at the beginning we were trying to go for nostalgia and oh remember this movie remember this player and I don't think the fans were ready for that at that time they still wanted to cling to the idea that this would all be coming back and no don't tell me about that tell me about the draft tell me about free agents But now it seems like a lot of people are kind of giving up and they want the nostalgia as evidence by The Last (laughs) Dance being such a winner. So we're all still figuring it out. I think uh, there's obviously concern if sports are stopped and your business is in making content and related to sports. But in a way, we, we have a little bit less exposure just because we can always find something to talk about and... Frankly, our travel budget is totally slashed by this. Nobody's traveling. So all the money that we spend in flying around everywhere is temporarily halted. Um, But yeah, if if, if sports stopped for the next few years, I think we would be uh, we would be in some trouble. That's that's for damn certain.
1: So you're saying no uh, top 50 warriors of all time list from
3: Ethan Strauss? (laughs) There might be. You know, we might have (laughs) we might have entered the nostalgia zone. Personally, I watched a shitload of college basketball and Australian basketball this year. And so I, I, I want to go into that backlog and talk about the draft. That's um, that's more the focus currently. But, yeah, there, there might be top 50 lists. I'm not the one to do it with the Warriors, by the way. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes because I've been around the team for a while, I am, as Colin Cowherd once said, uh, a young man who's been covering the Warriors forever. <laughs> um, which is funny when you think about the sentence, but, uh, people think that I know about all those old warriors teams. I don't know about it. I grew up in San Diego. Warriors were never on TV, like never, um, unless it was, you know, a playoff game. And I wasn't necessarily invested in, in what those warriors teams were doing. So a lot of the history, whether it's the nineties or the eighties or even the seventies, um, I, I, only hear about it through other people talking about it. I don't. I don't have the kind of connection to it that I did with, uh, frankly, the Eastern Conference teams of that era. Sounds like a Chris Mullen retrospective is coming from what I hear. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much. <laughs> what an accent that guy has, though. That guy's got a great New York accent. Oh yeah, it's it's thick as molasses. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I guess one last question before I get you out of here, um, because you. you you covered the Warriors since forever, but but which team do you think is better? Do you think the 2016 73 win team is better or the last uh, the 2018 Warriors?
3: Well, which one do you think is better? Well, I think the 2017 Warriors are the best. That's the best team ever. And what sort of sucks and what makes it a little bit depressing and distressing in a way? They're the best team ever, and yet. It's just because they have a decadent supply of talent. It's not the feeling that you got in 2016 where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and everybody's playing their role and there's a synchronicity and there's a beauty to the whole thing. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the sad truth of sports is there is this just reality of talent. And it's not all about the chemistry and the carrying and sharing. And um, it's funny the 2016 team the that won 73 games, the hole is greater than the sum of its parts for that team. Um, but that team would get its ass kicked by the 2017 team where the hole is less than the sum of its parts just because the sum of its parts are fucking ridiculous. Because the end of the game has Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andre Godala. Uh, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. I mean, that's just that's just stupid. I know people will say the Bulls are the greatest team ever or the 90, you know, the 96 Bulls and 72 wins in the championship. And you can only compare teams across versus their era, uh, of course. But come on, I mean, like that that Warriors team is so much that that's so that's stupid. That's a crazy level of talent. <laughs> that's just that's crazy. That's way better than Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, um, you know, Ron Harper. I mean, this is a great team, Dennis Rodman. That's a really cool team, but it's just not. It's just not. It's not at that level. It's not at that level of 2017 Warriors.
1: Ethan, man. Um... Thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for it's cursing. Awesome. We
3: definitely appreciate that shit.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but no, like,
1: from, um, uh, like I said, like, thank you for, well, I didn't say this, but thank you for writing the book, man. Like, it yeah. was, it was a really enjoy to read.
2: Um, perfect time for starved basketball fans to enjoy something, so.
1: Yeah, man. I think you did a really good job with it. Um, I know you said you may be adding some uh, more additional, maybe, paragraphs or even chapters for the paperback edition um but you know what you did for the the book that you have right now uh it's a really good read man so thank you very much for uh writing it thank you for your wife for putting up with you <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank you for joining us man
3: we definitely appreciate it Thanks for having me. I'll put out my plea, my plug. If anybody who read it and liked it can give a five-star Amazon review, I'm told that helps me a lot, and it really helps me get that uh, that paperback where it needs to be. So if anybody could do that, I appreciate it. Uh, or subscribe to the athletic and thanks so much for reading the book and and going through it it's it's awesome and you guys did a great job with it even if there was maybe maybe just like 30 minutes too much sneaker talk just one note (laughs) just one note i tell you so (laughs) and and how can you not bring up the the jordan fours you know like the 11s they're great but they're almost a little too flashy and shiny like we'll we'll we'll, we'll, another time we'll get into this but it's two flashy sneakers what is this I don't know. I don't know. You know what it is? I got ridiculed by Mark Stein for showing up to a playoff game wearing some uh, North Carolina blue 11s, and uh, he pulled me aside and scolded me, scolded me for doing it. So I think that's what that is. I think I'm still traumatized, traumatized from that. But look, that's another topic. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been my pleasure to drop on by. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) appreciate it, Ethan. Thank you.
0: Yep.
5: Hiya, Puddins! It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell
4: y'all about it. it's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff,
1: and if
5: you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or Theatre from our butts.
4: Have a good day, Puddins, and love, trust, and belief.
1: I'll do a proper intro, because... We we didn't we didn't introduce anybody. We just started talking.
2: But that's uh, that's what I love about it. Is like it's better if you can just free flow like that, and then we do the and then yeah we add in the stuff after. And I tried to throw in my radio style, throw in the title of the book and stuff and everything as we go along. But no, that was awesome. That was awesome. We hit on everything. He was great. Between the two of us, we literally checked off all of my boxes.
1: Do you want to get into sports journalism?
2: Yeah, it's still the. I mean, man, that Marcus, that was the goal. Like it's so. I mean I did. I almost you know we had Kellen like Kellen could have been part of the sports staff at U92 even though he was on the DJ. Oh wow, uh, I never staff. knew that. Yeah, yeah. Cuz he man, he would always <laughs> laughing cuz he'd always come in, he'd have his hat. Um I don't want to I don't want to put him in Jorts, but I can't remember correctly, but I feel like he might have worn Jorts once, but we all did. So it was a, it was a thing. Um <laughs> But I can remember him walking in the back door and he just had just like commanding like, oh, man. And he was always wearing a Bulls jersey or Red Sox, something, you know, Red Sox jersey or something like that. And so I was an Indians fan and like they lost in 07. He always gave me shit about it because the Indians were up 3-1 in that series. And then, of course, they pissed it away like they do. Um, But um, but no, like so that's kind of how we, you know, got into each other. But I was on the sports staff. So we did, you know, sports update and women's basketball and hockey and our baseball games and our sports talk show and all that. Um, And then I was on WVU news, which was the TV stuff. So I got, you know, did like sports anchor for, you know, twice a week we had our TV show. And so that's what I wanted to do. I didn't, I mean, I love radio more than I love TV and I always have, but kind of like TV was where the jobs were, but it was literally just like now where it was a recession and people were getting fired and laid off and everything sucked. And so I was here at home for a year and then, Applied to everything I could find. And I, I moved to D.C. because I applied to be, you know, work at the visitor center there because I worked at the visitor center at WVU. So I figured that was something and it was a job that paid money and I'd been in the house for a year not doing anything. So I moved to D.C. and then 10 years later, meeting people, worked in politics in Congress for seven years and then went back to Maryland and got my master's um, and then came back here. Um, and my mom was sick and she passed away, but I was here, you know, with her for a couple of months before that. And then I went back to DC, worked in Congress again, and then now finally got a job where I do podcasts and all the stuff at the time. So, um, but no, the goal is still to do it somehow in a sports capacity, which is a little bit trickier these days. Um, just because again, jobs are tight and everything like that, but that's still the goal. So this is at least somewhat closer to it than I was (laughs) before, which is, which is good.
1: How is, um, so it's Washington times, right? Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. how's the um how's the sports
2: coverage there already? So we only years ago, so it's like the conservative alternative to the Post, basically. And but years ago, it was kind of like a full service DC paper, like local and sports and everything like that. And now we've got you know one girl is the Local reporter and she just does local stories. We have two sports. Tom Lavero, you might have heard his name before. He's like a co- DC sports columnist. Guy's on 106.7 The Fan and all that. He's been around for years. Um, so he's a, the sports columnist. Um, Adam, who's a friend of mine that I met at Maryland, and Matt are our two sports guys. So they cover kind of both cover the Redskins, the Wizards, and the Nats and Caps. Um, but that's about all that we have there. But if one of them leaves, I'd like to do some maybe transition into something like that, which would be fun. Um. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we don't have much in the way of, of sports coverage anymore, just those two. I mean, we cover all the teams and everything like that, but they can't be at all the games. But, you know, they're at most of them, so.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing, I mean, even being in D.C., like, the cover, the press coverage is always about the White House, a bulk of it at least now, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, and, like, the interesting part, and as you, like I've said multiple times, Mike Osti always gets on me, like, I, lo- I love the athletic just because, like, I can pick and choose from literally anything in the country yeah. And I started reading it because my favorite Penguins writer, Josh Yohi, who knows me and Mike, um, you know, jumped from the Pittsburgh paper to there. And then it's like, oh, I can read about the Indians. I can read about this and that. And it, the DC, and so they grad, they built it up. And D.C. was like the last major city to get, you know, kind of its, its Bureau of the Athletic. And David Aldridge is the editor chief. Yeah. So David Aldridge left. And I didn't realize this because he's, you know, D.C. guy through and through. He was living in D.C. and then like flying to either Atlanta or flying to games his whole life, you know, covering the NBA based out of D.C. And so he left Turner and said, I'm going to be the editor of the D.C. you know, version, of the athletic. Um, but it's weird because, like, you know, from Morgantown and maybe just kind of seeing like how Pittsburgh sports are and everything like Pittsburgh sports are crazy. Like, you know, yeah. Ben Roth, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, says something and it's the top story on the news, not the top story in the sports section. Like it's the top story at five o'clock on the news in Pittsburgh. And yeah. that's just how it works. And that's like kind of how I grew up and everything. And in D.C., it's crazy because there's passionate, crazy passion. This is me going on like a thing here, but I'm, I'm going Um, there's crazy, passionate people there. But like it doesn't poke through in the coverage sometimes. And like the the they basketball. need they
1: need the Redskins
2: like if if yeah, the Redskins like, were if the Redskins yeah. were like fourteen and two it'd yeah. be first page and so that's like the most ridiculous thing that like kind of being there and so like I've seen lived through seeing the Caps win. And I don't like the caps, obviously, but it was awesome just because like people were happy. Finally, yeah. everybody's like, "Oh man, sports suck here." And I was like, "We got Ovechkin, you got Bryce Harper. It's like some good teams here." And then the Nats won, and then that was great. But no, it's like if the Redskins—God forbid—the Redskins ever go back to the playoffs and win a Super Bowl or something like that—apparently, you know, it, it's just going to be a fucking party for weeks, um, everywhere. It's
1: it's not apparent, like, trust <laughs> me, like, <laughs> like, I'm, like growing like growing up in DC, like, like even if, if you remember you know those like 90s like bullets teams when they had like potential like no, like we we had Ovechkin. he was he was great all his years. he didn't win. they finally win. that's good. had the mystics, they finally won good. the the nationals, we had Bryce who was super excited, he didn't win shit got rid of one good if the redskins win the super bowl yeah i guarantee like no matter where i am like in i don't even i don't even really i didn't even really watch last season nfl if the redskins win the super bowl no matter where i am where i'm flying back for the super bowl festivities <laughs> it's gonna be
2: it's gonna be fucking mayhem like that's how it's gonna be nuts and the crazy thing with basketball is because like as I've said before on here like I didn't have an NBA team and then my roommate's you know huge basketball fan and so kind of got into the Wizards and now I have the Wizards. It's it, and I'm I, I did I kind of wanted to mention in the thing with Ethan but um it's almost a separate show we could do is this the thing Friday um is the basketball county in the water thing the the, yeah. the, the PG For documentary. Yeah, and so I want to watch that and see all that because it's interesting to me how crazy passionate people are on the local level and the level of talent and DeMatha and Gonzaga yeah. and Markel Fultz and Durant and Ty Lawson and all of that. And people are still passionate about Georgetown, and they're still passionate about UMD yeah. basketball. And somehow the Wizards can't fucking make that connection between how strong in in the youth local – and basketball fever is in that region. It's the capital yeah. of basketball, like New York. New York in the '50s and '60s with like Lou Alcindor and all those guys, capital basketball. D.C. is capital of basketball now. Period. Like I don't think anybody else has an argument. And the Wizards can't connect that to you know come watch these guys play when there's only six thousand people in the stands at the arena to watch the Wizards. And like that's mind boggling to me.
1: Oh uh, no, I know the answer. Like the reason they can't, the reason they can't capitalize is because. We'd gone so many years without having great talent. Like we had like the Wes Unseld and like yeah. those old Bullet teams, mm-hmm. but when the '90s hit, like yeah, sad, we it hit a rut. Yeah. Though, like everyone in the city who grew up playing basketball, they only loved Jordan. They only loved Barkley. They they mm-hmm. love all these people outside of DC. And so in the 2000s. Like when we were in high school, basically, like if the Lakers came to town, yeah. it's, it's, it's like ninety yeah. percent Lakers. And so yeah. even even when Jordan came to to the Wizards, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't Bullets Wizards fans. It was people that just wanted yeah. to see Michael Jordan play. Yeah. So I think even with like like when John Wall was going off and like Bradley Bill, like like the year that they lost to uh the celtics yeah mm-hmm. and when they could have went to the eastern conference finals mm-hmm. like that was the moment that we needed to capitalize to really get this shit going for basketball yeah. so they lost and then we have we haven't been that good since so like it's like a thing of, like because i mean dc's a pretty big transplant city mm-hmm. so a lot of the home games it's going to be a mix of it's going to be a mix of both. Or if it's a good team coming into town, like it's going to be people who root for that team more than they root yeah. for our team. So, like, whenever, like, if Steph Curry is going off for, like, 50 points, we need people to boo him. Like, we don't, like, nah. if they're showing highlights on Twitter and they're in D.C. and they're going off for points and people are cheering,
2: Man, that's this just dumb- bad. I've been to... I I haven't been to a game in about a year or so, but like me and my roommate would go back. It was stupid cheap. Like we sat we sat courtside in VIP for like 60 bucks because you could wait on StubHub. You could wait on StubHub until like an hour before the game, you know, 30 minutes before the game starts and like just snag the tickets as people were trying to unload them. And then we, you know, we live in. Uh, Arlington, so we would just hop on the metro and get over there real quick and just eat all the food, and go crazy. But like, no man, those even the even the the fucking Knicks. Like, I, I've been there for a Lakers game and it's you know crazy. Cavaliers game, they when LeBron was back with the Cavs and they had Kyrie LeBron and everything, yep. and
1: LeBron
2: LeBron missed two foul shots in the fourth quarter and everybody got a chicken sandwich. They were screaming like crazy and Wizards somehow won the game. I remember but that. like I remember. even the stupid Knicks would come into town and it's like mellow and just because all these New York people there and it's like yeah. I was like they're the Knicks. I was like they suck. Like, they suck. like what yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, man. Like in the actually,
1: I really, I really do think. Actually, you know, I said the Wizards losing. That was the moment. But in like in a fantasy moment mm-hmm. if K D would have come if KD would have somehow got drafted by the Wizards and just stayed in DC his whole career and then maybe like bring a championship to D C like I think that would have been the term because you would have had this D C kid, well this Maryland kid, like backyard, like we can just go to the games, we can win over the crowds mm-hmm. and even like like K D did outplay LeBron if it's a situation like that where he's out playing like the best of the best, now you're not going to need to root for LeBron. You're not going to need to root for stuff. Like you have KD. So it's, um, yeah, man, like it's.
2: Well, and just like Grunfeld, like after they finally, it's just like, what in the world does Ted Leonsis have on Grunfeld that he keeps him employed? Because like he was the, lo- he was the longest tenured GM in the NBA at one point. And for no good reason, because, like, they miss on Jan Vesely, they, you know, Karan mm. Butler, Kwame Brown. And it's, like, like exactly what you're talking about, because they go from Jordan, you know, Stackhouse. It had names, Jordan, Stackhouse, um, Jameson, yeah, and, the,
1: the and Gilbert.
2: Years. Yeah, and then, obviously, Gilbert does all the shit in the locker room and the guns and everything like that and goes nuts. But there's still this bad disconnect from, like, actually drafting talent that, like, could have complimented him when other teams were stocking up on that um so yeah it's just like a lot of missed opportunities there but i i hope one day that it'll just like come around for them like i know they're sticking with the beal wall model i don't know if that's gonna be it i feel like they need something else yeah they need something else yeah but i mean that's
1: i don't i don't think they can i don't think they can get anything else without unloading one or the other like yeah yeah yeah, like i i i didn't think they should have i think they should have uh, either trade it away or let Bill go. Like, mm-hmm. like save the calf space. Try to draft and like build through there. But um, I think the next couple of seasons are going to be, I think at best, like if we w- like if Walls healthy and Bill stays healthy, I think we can get like you know like a six seed max. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like if if Ryu if he doesn't if he's like just sort of like a Like a middling
2: player. Yeah, there's another one. It's just like I don't know if it was a reach or what. You know, you don't want to criticize a guy because you don't know much about him. And he played at Gonzaga. You know, came from Japan and everything. Um, but it's just the wall at least. Yeah, like there was a time I think when you could have capitalized a little more on on Beal's, you know, starving everything. John, for better or worse, you know, he talks a big game, and I hope that he backs it up. Um. But he he seems like a guy that actually wants to be committed to the district and, like, do things in the community and be that guy and be a career D.C. guy, which is great. And then there's a whole other shoe avenue there where he signed. I just my roommate sent me a picture of I forgot he signed with Reebok and they had those weird zigzag shoe things at the you know, that was his shoe. (laughs) Yeah. And then Reebok got bought by Adidas. And so, like, you know, he's kind of maybe missed out on some opportunities with that. But, like, he does seem committed to the region and to the city, which is a good thing. And at his position, you know, he could kind of be Chris Paul where he has this long career and is still maybe not elite. But he plays like at an all-star, above average, all-pro level for a a period of time if he doesn't get injured again. And so add one or two guys to that and maybe it pops and turns into, you know, something. Because those playoff teams were like Wall and Beal. But like I've said before, it was Paul Pierce the one year and then Andre Miller and um, uh, what's his Al Horford. And like that was, you know, those bench dudes were the ones kind of care helping carry them to, to the second round that one year. So I think with, I don't, I don't think Porter,
1: I would not describe Otto Porter as a bust, but for whatever reason, he just never maximized like his potential. Like, like he he really would have he really should have been like a three and D guy mm-hmm. who can play stretch four we can go small ball with like him at the four Uber at the three Bill and Walt at two and then Gortat or Gortat's replacement at the five like but he didn't it's weird like he didn't like oh my god like I'm, yeah. i am kind of mad that like he kind of whipped i mean he was a georgetown kid
2: and local, yeah you yeah, know, played local at gym, in college yeah man
1: but yeah hopefully hopefully they get this shit together man
2: it feels yeah. like a big untapped it feels like an untapped opportunity to me with how much people in the region locally we're talking communities you know love basketball all around yeah. the dmv uh, and how, if the Wizards like became hot or something like that, I think it'd be like wild, but yeah, yeah, I mean, because it's from
1: Total and Georgetown, yeah, it was from those like 80s Georgetown teams,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then the 90s being competitive, and then even UMD and like the um, uh, Steve Blake years, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like,
2: like, Dixon. They, yeah, like they, they
1: had it, and, then now
2: it's, and even it's and, and like, even now, like, you know, having been there. You know, people, I think people like uh, uh, Turgeon kind of silenced some of the critics because a lot of people were like, oh, we're, uh, you know, one and done. We can't make the Sweet 16 thing. And he's had his share of like what you could call early exits in conference and national tournaments, but has been able, at least in the last year, to placate some of that with some, you know, decent wins. Um, in crunch in, in the playoffs in the tournaments and then you know you send like Kevin herder has been done really well with Atlanta um, and they've produced some guys finally to send to the league um, that are maybe you know maybe give people give Maryland a, a second look um, in terms of recruiting and staying home I mean lock Mike Loxley's doing it with football it looks like to at least some extent of keeping guys local so maybe that kind of happens with uh, with basketball too which would be nice yeah um,
1: uh good shit George. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production.
4: They're the
0: bestest. I'm getting paid an exposure.